Welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young. Pete Ball not with us today. He is in Boston, which has been getting pummeled by some unpleasant weather that has led to some power outages and stuff like that. And so he's focused on staying safe rather than talking Keeper Leagues. I'm sure he'd rather be with us, but not today. However, I'm not going to subject you to another solo episode of the pod. I've got a guest with us today. Very excited to have Mark McElroy with us. Mark is a fellow PitcherList writer. And Mark, tell us a little bit about what you what you do over there. Thanks for having me, Chad. Longtime listener. I am a writer and manager at PitcherList. I am also a part of the newsletter team. In season, every day, the newsletter goes out with some highlights from what's gone live on the site, podcasts, articles, and a look at what's coming up next. But in the off season, we do that weekly. So every Friday, you'll get an update of new articles that are uh, new to the site, uh, directly to your inbox. I manage a team of people who put that together. And how do people sign up for that? Listeners are like, oh man, I didn't know that existed. Where do they go? Bottom of every picture list article, there's a little sign in where you put your email, click enter, and it'll it, it'll come to us and we'll add you. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great way to keep up and everything that's going on on the site. Make sure you don't miss anything. Good sense of what's going on in PitcherList. So I, I definitely recommend that people sign up for that. However, Mark is not primarily here to talk about the newsletter. He is primarily here because he is the commissioner of the PitcherList Auto New League in addition to his newsletter work, has written some really, really great articles on AutoNew for PitcherList. And if you go to PitcherList and you search just the word AutoNew, you'll find a bunch of Mark stuff. There's a ton of really interesting stuff out there. It's a really, really good way to to get a lot of the basics, to really understand sort of what it's like to go through an AutoNew season, the different aspects of the season. The PitcherList League you started started last year, right? Or was it two years ago? We did our draft in February of 2020. So we drafted our teams and it was a group of people at PitcherList who were newbies. We didn't really know anything about Autonew. We'd heard about Autonew. We understood the name, but we we weren't a part of any leagues and we were just going to try to figure things out together. Then pass that knowledge that we picked up along to the readers. So that's what we've done over the last couple seasons. Every time something interesting for the auto new has arisen, put together an article and put it out there for people to learn about auto new and pick a few things up, uh, some tricks, some strategies, things to pay attention to. Those have gone up live for the last couple of years. Yeah. And Pete's in that league, even though he's not with us tonight. He yes. took over a team in that league, right? Yes, he picked up a vacant team, so uh, we're happy to have him. I don't know if he's happy with the state of his team, but <laughs> we're definitely happy to have him in the league. Well, and Pete's relatively new to Autonew as well. He played this year in one league, and so this will be his his second team. He'll be a good addition to that league. He's got about as much experience as, as all of you guys exactly. do. Exactly. And I think one of the great things about Mark's articles on this is that because he's writing them as he's going through a league the first time, if you're new to Auto New, there's just really, really good content there that'll help you understand how things work, why things work. One of the things that Mark covered last year, a little later than this, because I think you mostly covered the, the follow-up to it, was arbitration, which is what we're going to talk about today. Auto New Arbitration started, let's see, we are recording on Thursday, October 28th, but you'll hear this on Monday the 1st. 
So it's been about out for about two weeks. It, it's opened on October 15th. It closes at midnight Eastern time on November 14th. I mean, Mark, with you being new to Auto New last year, obviously been I've been around it for longer than I care to remember sometimes. Arbitration's weird. It's just it's very different than anything I've at least that I've seen in other leagues. Yeah, it's something that takes a little bit of getting used to. You have to get the lingo down, you have to figure out what the rules are, and you have to go about implementing it. What makes Auto New so great is that it's a keeper slash dynasty, but you're not necessarily able to keep the same players for their entire career. I mean, how many times have you been in a league where Somebody gets Mike Trout, and then you ne- you can't ever have him on your team. What Autonude has is rising salaries and arbitration that make expensive players more and more and more expensive to the point where they sometimes get thrown back into the player pool. And arbitration is the way that that happens. You're also in another keeper league. You said your home league is a keeper league, and that's got some interesting rules to it as well around contracts and stuff, right? My home league is a 40 roster spot, $600 budget, and it's a 20-year-old league. So it has a lot of old school kind of intricacies. One of the things that they used to do or still do is, it may sound old-fashioned, but they get the same fantasy baseball magazine comes out every spring, and those become the player prices. So if you it's a it's not an auction it's a draft but once you've drafted a player you also draft the salary that they have in the uh, mixed league portion of that magazine. So for example if you drafted Ronald Acuña for $30 in the book that's what you have to pay out of your $600 for Ronald Acuña. That league also has contracts. So if I want to sign Ronald Acuña for three years, then I can sign him for three years, but I don't sign him at the $30. That $30 is locked in. So if he goes down to $20 in the book next season, I still have to pay the $30. But if he if he goes up to $50 in the book next year, I have to pay the new $50 price. So we have the contracts, but we're locked into a base price with the potential of it rising. So in the next season, we have to readjust our budgets and what we players we can afford based on the players that we already have contracts for. It's just that that one that one book is is the word of God in, in yeah. this league. If if they say Acuna is worth fifty, he's worth fifty. If they say Vlad is forty, he's forty. And that's just it just is what it is, huh? Well, exactly. And you know how those books are made. They're they're done in November. So there are often a lot of really good deals in there. So it's not unusual for you to see a very highly priced player drafted in the you, you might get someone like Mike Trout drafted in the sixth or seventh round because nobody can afford his giant salary. Whereas you might find a super deal on Bobichette because for some reason the book says he's $17. So that's not a perfect example. I imagine you get some really interesting stuff with like free agents. So like definitely Bichette's partner up the middle in Toronto with Marcus Simeon. Like we don't know where he's playing next year. We don't know what he's doing. Yep. If they're publishing that book in the next couple of weeks and they're setting their prices now, they're going to make some assumptions on, okay, well, if he goes back to Toronto, he'd be worth this. But if he doesn't, he'd be worth that. And they got they have to make a decision to put a price down. And if 
if they guess wrong, <laughs> it could it could lead to some really interesting prices. Yeah, it, it it's very interesting when you get the book, and it's all. I mean, I live in Canada, so we have a very long cold winter, and one of the highlights in the spring and around late January, early February, is the magazine starts hitting the bookshelves, and so everybody in the league is basically sick of winter. The snow is up to the edge of their roof line, and they finally get to pour through this baseball magazine, and it's uh, it's a nice harbinger of spring, and and helps you get through the long winter when you can go through the magazine and figure out, okay, where can I get some deals on some of these players who are badly priced in this magazine that was published in November. I feel that when uh, projections start to come out, it's like yeah. the steamer projections just came out, and it's like rainy and gross and gray in Seattle right now, and I can just like sit down and look at some baseball projections That's and be right. like, wow, people are already planning for next year. Yeah. And, and, and there's always something so magical about turning on the TV and seeing spring training games and seeing, you know, we have that nasty weather and then, but there are still people playing baseball in the sunshine and it makes you think that's going to be me before too long. So yeah. Makes it just right around the corner. Yeah. We're almost there. Exactly. Still got a world series to finish first though. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we are going to talk arbitration. I, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about your other league. I think one of the fun things that we get to do in the show is talk to people about their other keeper leagues. And keeper leagues always have sort of unique rules and structures. My home league, keeper league that I'm in, has a vote-off process, which is similar to one of the out-and-new arbitration things that we'll talk about in a moment. But in that vote-off process, you get to franchise two players and then you get two players voted off your team and you get a discount of $4 on them at the auction. And so it's a whole process. And um, one of like, it leads to some interesting stuff. And, and Pete and I talked about this a little bit on the show earlier this year, because I traded a $15, I think $15, a $15 Mookie bets in that league this year. And part of the reason I traded him is I have a even cheaper Bo Bichette and an even cheaper Jose Ramirez. And I can't franchise all three of them. And so I finally decided, you know, at the time Betts was hurt. He wasn't really helping me a ton. And I was like, forget it. Time to trade him. I'm going to, I'm going to cash him in now because he's going to be gone as a free agent anyways, whether I want him to be or not. The goal of this stuff, it's the goal really, I think of the way your contracts are structured in your league. It sounds like certainly the goal of the vote off in the league that I was just talking about. And the goal of arbitration in Otter New is to, to help drive parity to help make sure that there's a certain amount of talent that's thrown back into the pool every year, that guys don't stay cheap forever. You know, you made that the point before Mark about in true dynasty leagues, like somebody in that first year drafts Mike Trout and then just sits on Mike Trout for a decade. Uh, and, and you want to, one of the things Auto new tries to do is avoid that happening. And so part of that is the salary increases. So if you're in an auto new league, you know that all of your major league players went up by $2 right at the end of the season, right after the season. Your minor league players, anyone who played no major league games goes up by $1. That's part of it. But arbitration is another piece of this. There are actually two forms of arbitration available in auto new. Most leagues use allocations, and we'll talk mostly about that today. There is another form that is similar to the vote-off structure I was talking about in my other keeper league, where every team gets one vote for a player on another team, one player per other team, right? So if I'm in a 12-team league, I get 11 votes, one for each of my opposing teams. And the player on each team who gets the most votes becomes basically a restricted free agent. They're removed from that team. They're entered into the auction. 
But if that manager buys them back at auction, they get a $5 discount. So that's, that is one of them. The other one, which is much more popular, is an allocation structure. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the basics of that. And then we're going to, what we're really going to do is try to focus this episode on the strategy of this. How do we think about it? How should you think about it if you're, you're in a league and going through allocations right now? The way that the allocations work is rather than getting votes, every team is given a $25 budget and you get to allocate dollars to players on other teams. And you literally are going in and raising another player's salary by one, two or three dollars. You have to put at least $1 on every other team in your league. You can put no more than $3 on any one team, and you can split up those dollars on multiple players. So if you've got a, you know, there's someone in your league who's got three guys you want to allocate to, you can put a dollar on each of them. You can't put $3 on each of them. That'd be too much on one team. If there's a team in your league that has nobody of value, you can't put no nothing on there. You have to put at least that $1 on every team. So just as an example of this, in League One, the original Auto New League, as of the end of the 2020 season, so end of last year, I had a $38 Juan Soto on my team. Immediately when the season ends, he goes through a $2 salary increase, just like everyone else, that moves him up to $40. During this arbitration process, so at this time last year, other teams in my league assigned six more dollars to him. So people, some people put $2, some people put one, but it was a total of $6 from the other 11 managers in the league that drove his price up to $46 as of the start of this season. I kept him. It's an easy choice. He is Juan Soto. He is well worth keeping. He was $46 for me all year. Just after this season, he hit that $2 increase, just like always. So he's up to $48. And since arbitration started a couple weeks ago, about half of my league has already done their allocations. And there are three more dollars allocated to Soto. So Soto is now up to $51. Given that only half the team is allocated, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up at 54, 55, something like that before this process is done, just eating up some of his value. And so that that sort of explains sort of how it worked. Mark, anything I anything I missed, anything that just sort of the basics of this that you 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 think about or that you've noticed? One of the things that happens is there's a consequence if you do not do your allocation correctly. So if you don't allocate to every team or assign your full is that's right, your full twenty five dollars yeah, is not assigned, then all of your allocation money is canceled. So right. it's really important for your self interest as a manager to ding your other league mates. One, because it helps you win when other people have to pay more money in salary, but also you want to make sure that you don't lose any of that money that you've assigned to other other teams. So make sure you've done that correctly. And uh, the interface on uh, Odd News uh, website is, is very good at telling you what you've done and haven't done. It gives you a real nice list of who you haven't allocated to, how much money you have remaining, things like that. For commissioners, it's a good idea to send out reminders during this month, let people know that arbitration started, remind them again in the next few days that, hey, it's you know halfway over, remind them again towards the end that it's done. And if you go look at the arbitration overview page, you can actually see on that page teams that are in red are teams that have not allocated all $25, teams that are in green are teams that have. And so you can, if you want to go sort of bug specific managers, you know who to bug. It's, it's made very, very easy for you. 
it is important. I think it's, it's really good for the economics of the league to make sure that players are getting more expensive, that there aren't great values sort of sticking around forever. And like you said, Mark, I mean, it's if you mess this up and you don't get your $25 allocated, every other manager in your league saves a couple bucks. And that's a couple yeah. bucks they get to spend at auction that you don't. And so it is a good idea to make sure you get this done. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, I, I love it because it gives you a chance in November or October to just have a second or take an hour out of your day and just go through your team, go through other teams. We don't get in a lot of chance in season to look at other teams. And this is a really good way to kind of assess what your competitors are doing and where they are, are at in the competitive cycle. So it's fun to just take a few minutes and just do that. I love that aspect of auto new and fantasy and allocation is a perfect time to kind of reevaluate your season and reevaluate what your plan is for next year. How do you do that? Like when you, when you sit down to do arbitration for your league, what's your process? What are you thinking about? How are you strategizing it? Well, first thing I do is I look at where my team finished in the, in the season. Was I in the top three? Was I in the middle? Was I at the bottom? And how things went that season. So did I finish in the top three because I got really lucky? Did I finish in the bottom three because I got really unlucky? Injuries are a big part of that. Whether or not I was able to manage my team in season correctly. Did I have enough time to do my auctions in season to add players and drop players? All these kind of things, they will inform how I did this season. Did I win my league because nobody else was paying attention? Like These are things that need to be looked at honestly. So I look at where I finished. That also has to do with where I am in the competitive cycle. So am I peaking? Should I be in the top three for the next two or three years? Or am I about to end my winning cycle and start to rebuild? So these are all things that need to be done. I also want to make sure that I am 100% clear on the kind of league that I'm in, the rules of the league, the format of the league, etc. Especially if you're playing in multiple leagues, it can be a little confusing if you're using different formats. So make sure that you're making your arbitration decisions with that in mind. So that's what I do first is just eva- self-evaluate and league evaluate. Curious as you're, you're evaluating, if you decide you're not competing, right? You had it. Maybe you had a good year, but you got lucky, and it's just not happening next year. Does that then change how you think about who you allocate to? Yes, yes, of course. One of the things that I don't know if this is what other people do, what you do, Chad, but I always try to target the teams that are around me or above me. I don't want to worry. I don't have to worry about the people that I clobbered in the league, the people down at the bottom of the standings who are either not paying attention or are struggling to in their rebuild or in the stage one or two of their rebuild. Like these are people that these are teams that I don't need to worry about. We're looking at the people around me and I'm going to assign my allocation, the good chunk of my allocation dollars to those teams and leave the bottom teams alone pretty much. So depending on where I am, if I'm at the top, I want to get I want to nab the first, second, third, fourth, maybe fifth place teams, give them a real wallop. And I'm hoping that the other people in my league also do the same thing because they want to knock those top teams off. If I'm in the middle and I'm pretty comfortable, 
I'll assign to the people around me because if they're in the same stage of their competitive cycle as I am, I want to make sure that they're struggling in future years. So I want to make sure that they have dollars assigned now that they'll carry forward into future seasons. It's interesting. I mean, I definitely look very closely at teams. I actually think like I, I allocate more by team than I do by player. So I'm more likely to put $3 on a team that I want to put $3 on than I am to put $3 on a player who I think is way undervalued, but on a team that I think is not very good. But I haven't ever really looked at it from a perspective of where I am in the standings. I sort of, I don't know if I would call it projected standings because I don't have enough information at that point in the offseason to project standings, but a sort of rough sense of like, these are the three teams that are the best teams. And I'm going to hit them with $3. And these three teams are sort of next in line. They're going to get $2, maybe $3 to one or two of them if they have a player I really feel like I want to I want to hit hard. You know, then that leaves me with, what did I say? I said three teams, three teams at six. There's five more teams. Then there's the other five teams are going to get one or $2, depending on what their rosters look like. It's interesting to think about, though, this idea of, Maybe hammering the top team isn't the most important thing. If I'm much more likely to be competing for third next year, maybe hammering the second, third, and fifth place teams if I'm the fourth place team is more productive. It's just I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah, I mean, you have to evaluate the other teams. Like Just because you're the top team in the league this year doesn't mean you're going to be the top team in the league next year. Maybe you have a lot of older, high-priced players. You don't have that youth. I, I don't have any youth on my team. but. Other people might look at my team and say, well, he's kind of at the end of his cycle. He's done well the last couple of seasons. I'm not going to hit him very much this year because he's in rebuild mode, either at the end of this year, somewhere during the season or early next season. So I would try to aim if I was in, was in the middle and I'm just about to start that rise towards the top. I'd try to hit some people who are also on that rise toward the top. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I think you make a good point that, well, I do think the important thing is to try to hit the best teams or the teams you are most competing with. That isn't the same as saying, put $3 in the teams that finish first, second, third, and fourth, because it's not about who finished there this year. It's about where they're going to finish next year. And so there's a lot we don't know in terms of who's going to finish where next year. I mean, even after the auction, we won't know. <laughs> there'll be a lot we won't know about that. So at this point in the off season, I do think it's, it's very much a like, this team has a ton of young talent, is really well positioned to, you know, supplement that talent at the auction and and go on a run versus this team may have won this year. But like you said, they won by renting a bunch of older, expensive guys that they're going to have to cut anyways. And so trying to think about who's in the best position for next year is, to me, that's, that is the first step. That's the first thing I'm going to do is figure out who is, who's a threat to win next year. And how can I make life a little bit more miserable for them, a little bit more challenging for them? And if there's a team that I think just isn't in a good spot, I won't hit them as hard. I, one, one thing I'll also do is I will often go relatively easy on a new manager to a league. And, and the reason for that is less about, I mean, there's a little bit of sort of you know, altruism there of like, hey, this guy's new. The last thing I want to do is like set him up with a, with a bad start. But the bigger thing for me with those with a new manager is, first of all, a lot of times they're new to auto new completely. 
And so they're, they're less of a threat from that perspective. They're going to take a year to figure things out. The other is they're often taking over a roster that isn't one they built or that they like. And so I'm not super, I don't see a big incentive to go like put $3 in some young, talented player that they may not even be a fan of. And so I'm going to go easy on them that first year because I want to see how things play out. I want to get through the arbitration period. I want to be able to talk trade with them and not go about putting $3 on. We were talking before this started about you picked up in your your home league, you picked up Jonathan India in your home league this year. He did a ton for you. Jonathan India is the kind of guy that at some managers are going to think a $5 Jonathan India in an auto new league is the greatest value on their roster. And some managers are going to think, yeah, he had a good half season after an early struggle, but I'm not sure I really believe in him. And if it's a manager who who got that player a year ago for $3 and now has them for 5 I'm much more inclined to believe that they believe in him than I am if it's a manager who just took over the roster. And so I tend to just sort of back off new managers a little bit. But other than that, it's just who do I think might win? And I'm going to go hit them hard. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a safe thing to do. One thing I would suggest is going into your league transactions and having a look at the last four, six weeks of the season to see which players were auctioned and added to rosters. So especially if there are new players in your league. So for instance, I'll use Pete's team as an example. Since he joined the league halfway through the season, I see at the end of the year that well, I see on his roster that he added Garrett Whitlock. I know that Pete is a Boston fan. I know that he has added Garrett Whitlock after he took over the team. So I know that he likes Garrett Whitlock. Um, did do, he add Tanner Houck? Uh, I believe he did. I, I intended to check that before <laughs> I started, but I, I didn't get a chance. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did too. So I know Pete well enough to know that he likes those two players. So I think it's safe to add allocation dollars to Tanner Houck, obviously, in in Pete's case. But that's a really good way to get some insight into what some of the other managers are thinking, especially at the end of the season. For example, I added Anthony Rendon in the, after uh, he was injured. His salary was really cheap. I thought, you know what, let me see if I can get him for a decent price. And so I started an auction for Anthony Rendon in September, and I won him for 19 Somebody in my league might say, well, $21 Anthony Rendon, that's not a bad price. It's not a great price. But Mark did add him in September with a reason. For, for, for yeah. There was a purpose for him adding him in September because he wasn't playing. What does Mark see in Anthony Rendon that made him willing to spend $19 knowing that it was going to be 21 Maybe I'll add a couple of extra bucks onto Rendon. That makes a ton of sense. So I do want to talk next about sort of specific players. How do you figure out which players? We talked a lot about what teams to target. Before we get to that, we did get a question from the Pitcherless Discord that asking, if you think the league is not allocating enough to certain teams, is it worth it to overspend on those teams to ensure parity, even if it means maybe not spending enough on teams that are more competitive now? I mean, my thought on this is I'm already allocating to the teams I think need to be allocated the most. That is where, like I said, that's where I start. And so I can't imagine, I can't think of a situation where I'd be like, 
wow, nobody else allocated to this team. I should do three instead of one. If I was already giving them one, it's because I think everybody should only give them one. And if I was already giving them three, it's because I think everyone should give them three. Yeah. Do you think about it differently? No, not really. I don't think about parity at all in the league. I only think about my own team and my own success. I I could care less what parity looks like in my league. I just want to make sure my team is as strong as it possibly can be. So I'm going to be assigning my allocation dollars to the teams that I think are the strongest because those are the teams I want to beat. And the best way to hurt those teams is to give them more salary and make sure that that salary is kept. The reality is arbitration exists to help create parity because if you look at AutoNew from from a business perspective, right, from AutoNew, the platform, parity is valuable because it keeps owners engaged, it keeps them around. You, you want people to stick around year after year after year and keep renewing their team. And they're not going to do that if there's not enough parity. But yeah, as an individual manager, I don't want parity. I want a dynasty. I want to keep winning. That's I want right. to win every year. Right. And so... Yeah. But I think that the, 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 the beauty of this process is that the economics are set up in such a way that every manager has an incentive to hammer the most competitive teams and go easy on the least competitive teams, which, you know, you think about $25 per team and it's one to $3. There's actually a wide range here. A team that everyone agrees doesn't need a lot of arbitration gets $11. And a team that everyone agrees needs a lot gets 33 so you're talking about a $22 swing pre-auction. Like that that will drive parity. And so I don't think it's something you need to work on. I think you just do what's in your team's best interest and the parity will take care of itself. Yeah, the parity also happens in future seasons. Those teams that don't get the allocation dollars this year might get get them next year if they've done a good job in their rebuild then there'll be a better team in future seasons. And that's when you start hammering them with the uh, extra allocation dollars. So parity isn't something you have to worry about for a single season or in a single league. That will end up all balancing out in future seasons. Yeah, that's, that's true for sure. So before we shift from what teams you target to what players you target, we're going to take a quick break and get a word from the sponsors of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Okay, we are back and we're going to dive now in a little deeper into arbitration. Talked a little bit about how we focus on teams first, right? Who are the teams you want to put $3 on versus the teams you want to put $1 on? How do you make sure that you're targeting the right teams? Now, though, you're looking at an individual team, 
you got to pick a player or up to three players to put at least one dollar on. How do you think about that? How do you start to to focus on which specific names are going to get money from you? Well, first thing I want to do as a base with all my allocation is I want to make sure that these allocation dollars are kept. First and foremost, I do not want to assign $3 to Chad's team only to have Chad drop that player because then Chad doesn't have to feel the pain of that $3 in the auction and in season with his $400 budget. So first and foremost, I'm looking for players who are keepers. Also, I'm looking for players who are keepers, not just this year, but in future years. So I don't want to have a lot of money tied up in a player who is older or a player who is on the decline of his career. I want to get young players who I think are going to be stalwarts on that person's roster for this year, next year, and the year after, and hopefully four or five years in the future. Because that means that that $3 that I give this year is $3 that is felt next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. So it kind of compounds. It doesn't really compound, but it, it has that, that um, idea. So when I'm looking to allocate money to other teams, I'm looking, the easiest thing to do is to find cheap players, players who have team-friendly salaries and players who are young and proven themselves. I don't want to risk assigning money to a player who flames out and doesn't do anything despite being an excellent prospect. I want someone who is proven, who is young, who has who is inexpensive salary, and also someone who is good. I want to make sure that the player I'm giving the money to is going to stick around, is going to be a star, or at least an everyday fantasy contributor. I think that makes sense. And I think that you're, the way you sort of structure your thinking there makes a lot of sense to me where the, the first order problem is make sure this player is still on this roster after the cut deadline. Yeah. Right. Because like you said, uh, you know, as a manager, when I see somebody put a dollar or $2 or $3 and somebody I'm thinking about cutting, it's like, great. Thank you for making my decision easier. Right. And it's three more dollars I get to spend at auction, right? Because if they had put that on a different player, that, that money's gone and I can't use it. So that that is sort of the first order thing. The second order then becomes, for me, the future, right? And so uh, as an example, if somebody has an underpriced Nelson Cruz, and he might be a bad example because there's at least a chance he's going to retire, I guess, at this point. But like, you know, if he announces tomorrow that he's signed somewhere and he's definitely not retiring and stuff like that. I would put money on an underpriced Nelson Cruz. It may not be my first choice because I would rather put it on somebody who isn't likely to retire at some point soon. Because like you said, I, you know, in an ideal world, like you think about those people that, that, that Juan Soto example I gave back at the beginning, I've had Soto for a few years now. He's gone through a few rounds of this. People who assigned a dollar on my like $16 Juan Soto or it was that first year that he went through this, like those dollars are still hitting my budget. Yep. Every year I am making the decision to keep those dollars on my team and it's making my Soto more expensive. Whereas if you put a dollar on a guy who I cut, then even the next year, those dollars go away. Yep. They hurt me one year, but they don't hurt me 
another year down the line. Yeah. And when we have to think about arbitration as your opportunity to hurt your competitors, your other teams in the league, not this this year, but next year and the year after and the year after that, which therefore makes it easier for you in the auction and in season. We are actually going to go through in a minute and go through a couple examples. I'm going to look at Mark's team and his league. He's going to look at one of my teams. But are there players that in general, and if you were in five different leagues, you might be allocating to these players in all five leagues because of the type of player they are, the type of value they're likely to be. Are there are there names like that that you think are likely targets in almost every league? Yeah, of course. Those are players who we thought were good, but have proven over the last season that they're better than just good. They're excellent. They're studs. So I'm looking at players like Brandon Woodruff, who got dinged last year in arbitration because he had a great season. Well, he's proven this year that it's legit and he's a top 10 pitcher. So I'm going to assign to Brandon Woodruff because he's probably quite inexpensive in almost every league. He got dinged last year in arbitration, but it's not enough to bring it up to where it should be. So players this year, somebody like Corbin Burns, who has slowly risen, but his salary is still very reasonable. So I'm hitting guys like that. Someone like Wander Franco, I think is probably a target in most leagues because now that he's proven what he can do, he looked really good this year. I think that most people expected him to be a star. And I think that he's shown that he can be. So he's somebody that you might consider targeting. Someone like Bobachette might still have a low salary. Someone like Kyle Tucker might have a reasonable salary still. These are players who we always thought were good. They were prospects that we we believed in, but their salary is not anywhere near what would be the equivalent of a first or second round pick. Yeah, I think that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. And those are those are exactly the kind of guys. And the other the other guys are even even if they're not as young as some of those guys, some some breakout players. A guy like Salvador Perez is likely much lower price right now than he would go for at an auction. I, I also I like to hit established players whose salaries haven't caught up yet. And so, like again, going back to that example in League One, Juan Soto is a really good example of this, where he has proven to be so good and so valuable that I think he's probably a good target in most leagues, even though he probably costs 50 plus dollars. It seems crazy to allocate to someone who's 50 plus dollars, but if Soto is a $70 player, and I think he might be a $70 player, then there's no harm in doing it. And it's a guy who you can be pretty confident, like, there's no reason to believe that Soto is going to fall off and be less valuable a year from now than he is today. And so he's exactly the kind of guy you can target and the dollars will stick around for a couple of years. Yeah. The only thing I would say in that situation is if there might be somebody in the same, a similar situation on that team. So for example, if you have, if there, that team also has Boba Shett or Kyle Tucker, or even someone like Randy Rosarena or Sandy Alcantara for $7, then I might say, you know what, I th- I'm going to assign my $3 to Sandy Alcantara and bring him up to 10 rather than worrying about an already expensive Soto, simply because I think that that might be dollars that extend further into the future. 
but it's just a fine, that fine makes point. Sense. So let's talk a little bit about prospects. You and I were talking about this stuff with Pete ahead of time. And one of the questions he had was about potential breakout prospects. So we're, we're not talking about Wander Franco, who already has sort of established himself as having some value in the majors, but someone like Julio Rodriguez. So Julio Rodriguez hasn't debuted yet. He should be, you know, starting next year in AAA, should be up before too long, looks like a star. Like you compare his minor league numbers to Wander Franco's, they compare favorably. Like he looks like he is going to be a, a superstar. Are you putting dollars on him? Uh, no. Short answer, no. And that's only because we have no idea what the future will bring. We don't know what it's gonna what he, he will look like when he faces major league pitching. We don't know if something might happen to his body, his arm, his leg, who knows. He's unproven at the major league level and there's no reason to give him arbitration dollars simply because it's risky. It's riskier to do that. There's got to be somebody else on the team you can assign some some dollars to who is established, who is a keeper simply because we don't know what Julio Rodriguez will do when he hits the majors. And yes, I agree. He's, he looks amazing and he probably will be amazing. But one of the beauties of Autonu is once he gets into the majors and proves that he's amazing, that's when we can get him with our, our arbitration dollars. Don't worry about dinging him this year. The opportunity will come where you can get Julio Rodriguez's salary up to where it should be, but that's in future seasons. For right now, we're looking for players who are less risk. We want to make sure that the players are around and they're keepers and they that money continues into the future. So I'm going to, instead of giving it to Rodriguez, I'll give it to somebody else. If that's somebody like Jorge Polanco, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Jorge Polanco instead. That's a keeper, probably a reasonable price that I'm not worried about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that makes a lot of sense. And the, the in my experience, I've never regretted not giving arbitration to a player. Because if it turns out I was wrong, right? If I'm like, I'm not giving a dollar to Julio Rodriguez, and a year from now we look back and think, wow, that was crazy. Julio Rodriguez is a star. Then I'll hit him with arbitration next year, like you said, right? I have a second chance at it. What you will regret is putting $3 on a prospect who completely busts and who is a cut by the end of the next year. Because then you've you've given that money back to that manager, right? They don't have to hold on to it. And I think one of the things to think about with your arbitration dollars is you're looking at a team's budget overall, not necessarily just at individual players. And so, you know, let's say you've got a six dollar Julio Rodriguez in your league. Yeah, people could arbitration use arbitration to move him up to sixteen this year, or they could put those ten dollars on just some other player. It doesn't even matter who. But a year from now, it doesn't matter. If it's a $16 Julio Rodriguez and a $5 whoever the other guy was, or a $15 other guy and a $6 Rodriguez, they're still $21 total. And if you at that point think, wow, those two guys who are $21 total should be $50 total, then you start putting more arbitration on them. And that's fine. And you can do that. The risk is you put those $10 on Rodriguez. And at this point next year, you're looking back and thinking, well, that was a waste. Now he's been cut. The other guy is still only $5 instead of being 15. And now that manager has $10 cleared off that they would that they otherwise would have had to eat. And so for me, I, I never 
I have never had a situation where I'm like, wow, huge regrets. I should have put that money on player X. But I absolutely have times where I'm like, why did I put arbitration dollars on this guy? Like I should have known that he was like, that there was risk there. I should have been more cautious about him. So I'm with you. I think I I want guys who are more established for me that honestly, like Wander Franco might be a, a, an exception because he just looks so good. And I believe very strongly in him, but I often won't put dollars on guys who have like a half season of experience either, because I just think it's, there's still too much risk there. You know, a guy who has a half season breakout to start his career could also be Brett Lawry and could fall on his face and, and not be valuable in the future. So, and yeah, that could happen to anyone, but I think it's more likely with those, with those prospects, those unproven players. And so I, I do try to sort of avoid those guys. So another question we got from the PitcherList Discord, and it sounds to me like your answer to this is going to be no, based on what you've already said, but is there a strategy to overspend ARB dollars on an already high-priced player in an attempt to force the team to drop them and put them back into the auction? Is that something you do? I haven't, no. I haven't done that because there's always somebody else available, and the only way reason I would do that is because it might be a player that I need or that I want to get into the auction. But let's say I do succeed and that player is dropped. That doesn't guarantee that I'm going to win him in the auction. That doesn't mean that it's going to be at a price that I want to spend. So there's so many things that could go wrong with that plan that I don't even bother. Instead, Auto News is a trading league. If there's a player that I want, then I can trade for him. So rather than thinking too much about allocation and trying to draw a player into the, the auction pool, I'll just try to grab that player at, on November 15th when arbitration closes and we can start making trades again and try to get him on my team that way. The other issue with this is it is such a narrow window for success because Let's say a team, let's let's use my my Juan Soto as an example again. He's up to $51 now. If you believe that your $2 or $3 moving him to 53 or 54 is going to be enough to make me cut him, I don't know how confident you can be that I wouldn't cut him at 51. Or maybe it's a round number thing. If I mean, he's at 59 and you think, okay, if I push him to 60, Chad will cut him. Even if I do make that cut, you have no way of knowing whether you drove me to make that cut or whether that arbitration dollar showed up on him. And I thought, yes, an arbitration dollar on a guy I was going to yeah. cut anyways. So then you end up going into the auction. And if, you know, if you put $2 on a $59 player and he gets cut and that player goes for 55 at auction, that also implies that nobody was willing to go over $55 and that your $2 was wasted. And that player would have been cut anyways. Or, that player might go for like $65 instead of 61. But then you're not really putting dollars on an overpriced player. You're just doing what we've been suggesting all along, which is putting dollars on an underpriced player who would be more valuable. In that case, the fact that the manager cut him is just a mistake on that manager's part. And so I understand the strategy here. I understand like I might push this guy into auction and be able to get him at a price I want without having to make a trade. Right, I might I get the option to bid on him and not give up a prospect or whatever it would take to get him. I also understand in, in some cases 
you know, I force you to cut a guy at 61. I push you to 61. You cut the guy and he goes for 65, 66. And now all of a sudden, my arbitration dollars have actually multiplied, right? I put $2 on him and now he's eating up five extra dollars on top of that. The problem is that even if I'm successful, quote unquote successful at forcing a cut, I don't know if my arbitration mattered. I don't know if I forced the cut or if I just put money on a guy who was getting cut anyways. And then again, if the player goes for a lot more than that, then that was sort of, that's just doing what we're suggesting anyways, putting money under a price player. And if he goes for a lot less than that, then you have to assume that your dollars were wasted. And so it's just such a narrow window where the only way I would really feel like I made a difference was if the guy was like 60 bucks, I bumped him up to 61. He went for auction at like 59 or 60 and I won him. Like then I would feel like it was successful. But any other scenario, either either I didn't actually do what I thought I was doing or I didn't have the impact I thought I was having. And it just, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan. I, I think it's, it's uh, there's, you have too little control over what's going on. You have too little knowledge of whether or not what you did work. Yeah. And, and also you have to think long term as well when it comes to that team. And rather than That's the right. player itself, you're looking at the team. That's two dollars that that play that manager doesn't have to worry about on the team anymore. So, so they don't feel that two dollar arbitration money because it's cut. And we talked about earlier, we don't want those players to be cut. We don't want that two dollars to be wasted and lost. So, it also means that that player has that manager has two extra dollars to play with in the auction and in season. Yeah, it's not a lot, but but over the course. It's two dollars from you. It's two dollars from three other players, and then that's eight eight bucks. Yeah. So that has more of an impact. That's a player. That's two prospects. That's that's two backup infielders. I also think, like for me, I haven't made decisions now on who I'm keeping, who I'm cutting. I still have a lot more information I want to get before I make those decisions. And so when I see money get put on someone who feels like they might be a cut to me, it just feels like a win. It feels like I got a bonus from that other team. So. The other, the other sort of strategic question here, because arbitration goes for a month, when do you do arbitration? Do you do it right away? You better do it right away. Arbitration is one of those things that takes shape throughout the month. It's not something that you can show up an hour before the deadline and do. We can't procrastinate with arbitration. I like to do a first pass on the first day that arbitration opens. Why? It has three impacts. One it gives you a chance to really look at all the other teams and your team. You can figure out who's rebuilding, who's contending, who's not, et cetera, et cetera. But it also, more importantly, it gives everyone in the league a chance to see how arbitration is taking shape. So I've assigned my money so that the next person, when they are assigning money, has a better idea where the dollars are being spread. That's really important to help other people, managers out, make better decisions. It gives us a more complete picture of arbitration. And it's something that's shared with all the other managers in the league. It's not something you do individually. It's something you do as a, as a league. And so the picture of arbitration takes shape throughout the month. What's really nice about it is that it's not locked in right away. I have a chance to adjust all through the period to the point where I can kind of shape how other teams look based on where I put the money, but where other people put the money as well. So 
Let's take an example of someone like Corbin Burns, for instance. We talked about him earlier. If I think that Corbin Burns is a $40 player and he's his current salary is $20, well, I'm going to assign my $3 to Corbin Burns. But what if everybody else is exactly feels exactly the same way I do and they all assign money to Corbin Burns? I would rather than take my $3 at that point and move that Corbin Burns money into another player. Just like you said earlier, we want to make sure that it's spread out to other players so that that impact is less risky. As more and more managers assign their allocation dollars, I will adjust mine up until the very last day, right before the deadline, I go through every team and make sure that all the arbitration money makes sense. So if other managers have pushed Giancarlo Stanton to a point where I think he's a drop, I got to get my money off of that player as quickly as possible to make sure that Giancarlo Stanton is not a drop. So in answer to your question, I do arbitration early, I do it in the middle, and I do it late. It's different kinds of brush strokes to create the arbitration picture for the entire league. And I make a few brush strokes of my own, but then there are 11 other people who are contributing to that painting at the same time. So by the deadline day, I have a pretty good idea what that picture looks like overall, and I can do some fine-tuning at that point. Arbitration as a painting made by 11 managers working in concert on one on the canvas that is one other manager's team. Is a, I like that analogy. It's a new one for me, but I think it's a good one. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I want to just ask you, what do you think about the idea of talking to other managers about arbitration and allocating money? Because in my league, for instance, in the analogy of the picture and the painting, we're creating a picture, but we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what we're drawing. It would be a lot easier if we could say, hey, I think this is what we should do to the team who's first in the league. But is that ethical? Is that something we should be doing? Or should we just go about our business, make the best decision we can without, we're not colluding, but it kind of yeah. is colluding if you're talking to about To me, it. I don't think it's a collusion issue per se. If I found out that teams in my league were discussing my roster and who they were going to allocate to. I don't think I would feel cheated or like that it was an ethical issue or anything like that. From my perspective, I'm not sure the coordination tax is worth it. Like I think I can just trust I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I can trust other managers to do what they're going to do. And then like you said, I I also I like to do it at the beginning. I like to go back in the middle. I like to check again at the end and I'll move dollars around based on what other people are doing. And I assume other managers are doing that based on what I'm doing. And, and we're sort of signaling to each other what's going on. But I think the effort to go talk to multiple other managers about a specific roster, because if you think about it, in theory, that's 121 conversations. It's 11 other managers in your league at 11 different rosters. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Uh, you know, the one scenario I could kind of see is if you see somebody making truly terrible allocations. But at this point, you don't know who's making those allocations unless they happen to be the first one to do it where they were the only ones done or something like that. I don't know who was the one who put $3 on a $70 Christian Yelich. Like, I don't know. I don't know who to go talk to. So I guess I could do something like post on the message board like, hey, whoever puts $3 on Yelich, that was 
stupid. Don't do that. But then I start to feel like I'm calling out a manager for being bad at this. And I don't, I don't even want to do that. Like, so at that point, the cost of the bad allocation to me, like I'd rather have a manager make a bad allocation than be the kind of person who posts on my message board, calling out another manager for doing something I disagree (laughs) with. Yeah. And I guess it's true. That's a, there's a certain amount of uh, arrogance to think that our my decision is what is right. Right. Somebody might be putting $3 on Christian Yellis for a reason that I don't get, that I don't understand. And they may have a perfectly good reason for doing so. So I guess you're, you're totally right. We shouldn't be calling out other managers in the league. But you're also right when you say that everything we do in our arbitration and our allocation is signaling to other managers what we're doing. So we should be picking up on those signals. And that's something we haven't talked about is looking to see what other managers are doing when it comes to assigning the dollars. So that's why it is so important to come back halfway through and definitely at the end to make sure that all those messages were received. Yeah, And if they weren't received to make some adjustments to your own allocation so that it minimizes anything that uh, might have flown over other managers. I totally agree. So, so we're going to finish this up by doing two examples, walking you through our thought process. Mark is going to make his allocations to my team in League 13. I'll put the links to these teams in the episode notes. But if you go to League 13 at Auto New, my team is the Hawk and Hawks. That is a, a team that I co-manage with Niv Shah, who is the creator of Auto New. A little, little history. All, all of my team names are high school sports teams. That's just what I use. And mostly I use sort of random, arbitrary high school sports. The Hawk and Hawks is so named because that is the high school that Niv and I went to. And it's where we met back in the day. And so we, we have named the team in honor of our alma mater. But Mark, taking a look at the Hawks, what would you do with this roster? Who are you going to allocate to? Okay, first of all, I'm going to look and see how this team did in the standings. Okay, that's, I talked about this earlier. We have to look at where we are in the standings, but we have to also look where other teams are in the standings and also look at the format. So this is a head-to-head Fangraphs points league and your team made the playoffs. It was 29 and 15, but got beaten badly in the first round. So so very bad. I don't have the context of how you're, you lost in the first round. I got round. absolutely hammered. Yeah, you got pounded in the first round. Yeah. But was that bad luck? Was it bad timing? Did the pitchers not the pitcher starts not line up, et cetera, et cetera? So there's more context that I don't have here, but I'm just going to think about that in my own league if I'm I'm looking at other teams. Next thing I would do is very quickly just look at the cheapest salaries on the team and see if anything stands out as a player under five dollars. Any player there that looks like they should be worth more. And the only player I see there, I mean, there's Steckenrider, there's Aaron Loop, there's Genesis Cabrera. I mean, these are not players I'm going to assign allocation dollars to because they're likely cuts. Mm-hmm. But Ranger Suarez stands out as a player. Okay, this is this is a keeper. And it's he's at $3 right now. So he's an option. And at this point, I'm only looking for options. Where am I going to put my $3? Because it doesn't take long 
and on a lot of teams, especially this team, I want to assign a lot more dollars to this team. There are a lot of options. So Suarez is an option. There isn't anybody under $5 that I would really look at. Maybe Heimer Candelario at $4, but there's got to be better options than that. So after I've looked at the cheapest players under $5, I look to the mid-range players to see if there are any players between 6 and around $15 that I think had a breakout season or are rookies or prospects that have proven that they're really strong. These are players who I think will be kept this year, will be kept next year and in future years. So on this roster, I see that we have someone like Sean Manaya at $10, but oh, 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 okay. We got a brand Brandon Woodruff is here at $11. Okay. Right now, all my alarm bells are going off saying, okay, I'm going to assign some money to Brandon Woodruff. I'm also going, oh, okay. We have a $13 Zach Wheeler. And a $14 Hunjin Ryu. So those are three excellent options of players who, maybe not so much Ryu because he's older, but certainly Zach Wheeler, a 200-inning plus pitcher per year, boatload of strikeouts, definite keeper. Same thing with Brandon Woodruff, both at really cheap salaries. I go up to the hitters. Austin Meadows at 15, Ketel Marte at 15. Yeah, I could probably ding both of those players. But I'm more likely to give money to those pitchers because they are very excellent players who have very low salaries. After that, I then go up into the high price players. So these are players over $30. And I see you have Corey Seager, Nolan Arenado, and Giancarlo Stanton. So Seager's 33, Arenado's 33, and Stanton is 41. I would hesitate to give any money to Stanton at 41 simply because I don't want to push him off of your team, and I'm afraid that that arbitration money will be lost. So I'd consider Seager and I'd consider Arenado. Arenado's maybe a little bit older. He's not playing in Coors anymore. So I think that as tempted as I might be to assign to Corey Seager, Arenado, and Stanton, we don't know where Corey Seager is going to play next year. So we don't know exactly if that money is going to be kept, if that $33 looks good, if he goes to a non-hitter-friendly ballpark, what's the situation going to be, etc. Those are risks that I'm not willing to take, especially when I have amazing options in Woodruff and Burns. So that's where I would throw my money. And if other players in my league also wanted to stick um, Woodruff and Wheeler with arbitration dollars and it got up to a price that made me uncomfortable, I could always throw that money to reallocate it to maybe someone like a $7 CJ Cron or a $12 Salvador Perez or a $15 Austin Meadows. I was literally just going through and thinking about, okay, who are the guys that Mark didn't name that I expect will get hit? Because you're right. I mean, yeah. Woodruff and Wheeler are the obvious top two targets on that team but the names that jumped out at me too were where i expect that crone will get a couple bucks i expect salvia will get a couple bucks i think like nick cassianos maybe Catel Marte. there's a handful of guys that i think could also get money but i my expectation as the manager of this team is that wheeler and woodruff are going to get pricey real fast yeah and you should also expect that because of the how well you did this season your team is stronger. You're in your 
I wouldn't say the peak of your competitive window, but you're on the rise from the looks of it. I would expect that you will get the full $3 from every other manager in your league. So be prepared for That's that. Great. It's, it's one of those things like you get the full $3 and you simultaneously are like, oh, I'm getting hit with all this money. And you're like, but it's a compliment. It's, they yes, they exactly. like my team. So. Yeah. It doesn't make you feel much better though. So let's take a look now in League 1122. Mark's team is the Cram Fighters. Yeah. Mark's Cram Fighters finished first this year. Now, this is a five by five league, so it's very different than a head to head Fangraphs point. So there are some differences here, but finished first, a, a fairly comfortable first, three and a half points clear of second, but 16 points clear of third. So at least this year, you are a very strong team. I also notice when I go look at your roster, one of the first things I look at is salary situation. And mm-hmm. Mark's team has $466 in cap right now. Now, that 466 is after the $2 increases on all major league players and $1 on minor league players. He's only got one minor league player. So he basically added $80 to that, which means... You ended the season at like 386. You were under the salary cap. It's not you didn't go out and rent 10 guys and have a $600 salary situation which does happen. And so you won this league on the strength of a team that didn't need a bunch of rentals to get over the top, which without even looking at your roster starts to tell me this is a team that's going to be a threat to win again next year. And so I haven't. I literally haven't even looked at who the players are, and I'm already thinking they probably they probably deserve three dollars. I'm probably gonna put three dollars on you as well. Now, I do want to look at the players and make sure that I actually think you have a team well set up to win. But having looked at your roster, I think you do. You got a lot of interesting players. Now, what's interesting is I do the opposite. I start at the top and work my way down, and the reason for that is I want when we talked about wanting your dollars to stick long term. The more established a player is, the more confident I am that they're going to maintain their value. And so my my perfect spot is not the $5 player who broke out and looks like they're going to maintain it for years. It's the $15, 20 maybe even $30 player who I still think is $10 to $15 underpriced. Because those are the guys who I'm more confident are going to maintain. So when I look at your roster, I start at the top. And with your pitchers, there isn't a lot at the very top that jumps out at me. I mean, I, I love Shane Bieber, but after this season, I'm not willing to. You already have him at $37, and I don't need to push him to 40 Josh Hader at 28 and Araldis Chapman at 24 in a 5 by 5 league, those are good prices for closers, but they're not prices that I feel the need to push up. Uh, on your hitters, you have some interesting names. You've got Adalberto Mondesi at $25, which, like, I don't even know what to make of him. <laughs> maybe that's a great price. Maybe it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to stay away. Um, but the other guy over, the other two guys you have over 20 are Anthony Rendon, who you talked about before, and Jose Altuve. Rendon is 21, Altuve at 24. Altuve is really interesting to me because second base is a challenging position to fill. Altuve didn't run a ton this year. He only stole five bases, but he contributes an average. He contributes in home runs. He scores a ton of runs. He puts up good RB. Like he does everything in a five by five league. And $24 is a pretty good price. Now, the trade off here for me is comparing a five by five league versus points leagues. 
the top end salaries are lower, at least they, they should be. And so I'm, I'm a little less willing to push a high price guy in a five by five than I would be in a points league. And so Altuve is interesting. I'm sort of keeping an eye on him, but I'm not sure I'm jumping at him. I then look at sort of your, your mid-tier, your $10 to $20 range guys. And there are some names here I really like. So Kyle Schwarber, I think, is, is pretty underpriced, $17. I'm a huge Josh Bell fan. And this is an interesting case where this is one of those where I'd like, I, I'm curious to know, and I'm going to go pull up Josh Bell's page here. You added Bell at, it looks like at the auction this year, back in March. Um, I'm not sure that I know what you think of Josh Bell. And so I'm a little torn between wanting to put a dollar on him and wanting to try to poke at a trade offer in in later in November. But for now, he's still a target for me, potentially. Chris Bryant had, you know, he's he's eligible at three different positions. You got him at 15 bucks. He's 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases. Like he's a real solid five by five player. We don't know where he's playing next year, which gives me a little bit of pause, but he's sort of interesting in the sort of $15 range on your, among your pitchers, you got Hyunjin Ryu, who to me is, he's interesting. He should have a better year next year, but he was pretty bad at times this year. And, but then you've got a $12 Julio Urias and a $10 Charlie Morton and Urias in particular, like just jumps out at me, especially in five by five, where he was a 20-game winner in 185 innings this year, and I'm reasonably confident the Dodgers are still going to be good next year. And so he, he becomes a guy who like contributes in four categories really, really effectively as a pitcher, and that's that is a lot of value. Then I start to look at the the under, you know, the cheaper guys. You know, Richard Rodriguez as a closer at nine dollars is, is super interesting. I like Framber Valdez, I like Jordan Montgomery. I love the future for Josiah Gray. Oh, you have a $5 Freddie Peralta. Now that that's a name that that stands out for sure. Um on your bats under $10. Well, even above $10. You got an $11 Byron Buxton despite the injuries. He managed 19 home runs and 9 stolen bases in 61 games. And so, he is probably a target. Um your cheaper guys, you've got CJ Crone as well at $8. You've got A.J. Pollock, who I think was better than people realize with 21 home runs and nine stolen bases and sort of part-time duty, but that part-time duty does make a big difference in his value. You've got that Jorge Polanco breakout at $6. He's real interesting, too. And those are the guys who sort of stand out for me as I go through your roster. So having sort of come up with that list of, of names, there's a few things that come back to me. One is Josiah Gray, as much as I like him, not proven yet. I'm not going to put money on him. I, I I believe he's going to be an ace, but if he's an ace, I'll hit him next year. Right? This is that case where I was talking about I never regret not putting dollars on a guy. I regret putting dollars on him. Josiah Gray is exactly the kind of player who you will have no regrets waiting a year because you can move up his price next year, but you will have lots of regrets if you put $3 on him next year and it turns out he's terrible. So I'd stay away from him. Rodriguez. Closers are so fickle. I probably won't touch him. That might be a mistake. He probably should be armed up to 15, 16, 17 bucks. But uh, especially knowing that with Hayter and Chapman being so expensive, you may have some tough choices in your bullpen, right? Because you basically, 
like looking at your saves, you've got Smith, Will Smith at $5, and then Hayter, Chapman, Rodriguez. Maybe Smith is really the guy I should be targeting because he's probably the closer in Atlanta again. So I, I might put some money on Smith, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't like allocating to relievers. They're just so volatile. Well, and, and that's one of those things too where we might get news Atlanta is shifting to more of a committee or that they have they're not going to make one of those players there or they opportunistically they're they opportunistically go out and sign Kimbrel or something right like the cubs decline Kimbrel's yeah. option yeah. and they go out and sign him and decide smith's going to settle into a fireman role and Kimbrel's going to be our closer yeah and and look at what's happening in the playoffs tyler matzik is killing it he looks like an absolute stud out there and maybe they think as a team maybe he's our closer for next year so I was just going to ask, is it a, a good strategy to avoid relievers altogether simply because of the way saves are being split up and, and changing so much in, in, in the MLB these days? Yeah, I mean, I'd be a little, I'm a little hesitant to say to avoid it altogether just because, like, looking at the price on your team, if that were a $24 Will Smith and a $5 Josh Hader instead of the other way around, I would be allocating to a $5 Josh Hader, yeah. right? But right. in general, like I think it it it's sort of the same there's that same principle of like I don't want to allocate to highly volatile players. I don't want to allocate to players who are likely who have a high chance of losing their value next year. And like Will Smith for any number of reasons could be out of a closer job before we know it. And so it's yeah. just it's too risky to me and so that's I would avoid him and I would avoid like it would be very rare for me to allocate to a a, a reliever. If I were going to do it, it would be in a five by five league with a truly established closer at a single digit price. Right. So you might cons- you might consider Will Smith, but then even w- the Will Smith example is too risky. Yeah, but part is so I like agree. the difference between Smith at that price versus Hater at that price is first of all, like Smith's rates aren't that good. He he had a you know. Last year, in a shortened season, he had a 4.5 ERA. He had a 3.44 ERA in, a, in the full season this year. Like he is a he is a fine closer. He is not a bad pitcher. He's just not a great closer. And he's exactly the kind of closer that a team like Atlanta might decide they want to upgrade on. Plus, he's 32 years old, and with closers being as volatile as they are, like who knows when his performance will fall off? He's just a little too risky for me even at that price. Well, especially too, because you have so many other options on this yes. roster of other players you can target. So yeah, I'm looking, I realized like I didn't even mention like Mitch Garver had a much better year than people realize at $7 as a catcher. He's sort of interesting. You got all sorts of guys on this team. It's a good team. Yeah. It, it's interesting looking at this team because it's, I'm, I'm surprised it won because it is spread. It's definitely spread the risk. I don't have any big, big name players. They're all just average players who performed quite well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of guys who who I think you would argue overperformed this year based on expectations. Yes, um, but it's you know for a five by five league that balance is really valuable, and it's sort of the opposite of a stars and scrubs approach. There are you know if I look at your sort of regular lineup here, and you're starting Crone at first, Altuve at second. Boy, probably, I mean, Mondesi, when he's healthy, I guess it's short, but then you've got Polanco is probably your shortstop. Um, between the, between them, you've got a shortstop and a middle infielder, I guess. You've got 
Donaldson at third. And then your outfield, you got Brantley. Eddie Rosario has been excellent down the stretch. Uh, Jock Peterson's been better down the stretch. Buxton's excellent when healthy. AJ Pollock's been very good when he's played. Like you've got Lord Scurriel Jr., who also was second base eligible. He's not anymore, but he was probably in your middle infield mix, but also your outfield mix. Schwarber's in your outfield mix. Bryant is in your outfield mix. Bell is in your outfield mix. So it's just there are no weak spots in this lineup. And so that also does make it sort of hard from an arbitration perspective because there's so many guys I could go after. At the end of the day, I think I'm probably at the beginning of arbitration going to do something like a dollar on Buxton, a dollar on Urias, and a dollar on Freddie Peralta. I don't love putting that much on pitchers because pitchers are more volatile. Like, you know, just the chance that one of them gets Tommy John or something and misses the year is much higher than it is for a bat. But those prices are so low that I'm not sure it matters. Like, if if Urias gets Tommy John tomorrow and is going to miss the entire season, you're still going to keep him because he's at such a good price. So I'm probably going to hit him. Buxton is the one where at $11, I want to put a dollar on him, especially in five by five with his speed power combo. Like he should be, he should be moved up. But if I come back in the middle of arbitration or the end of arbitration and Buxton's $25 because everyone else has put money on him too, I'm going to move that dollar off and put it somewhere else. And again, it's probably one of those pitchers, but if it's not one of those pitchers, then, you know, Polanco would be sort of a next in line bat for me. Maybe Chris Bryant is the next, is another next in line bat for me. Like those are the other guys that I think I would primarily, primarily target. Yeah. And I really like that. And it's a perfect example of that you do your arbitration early and adjust at the end and in the middle as well. But uh, yeah, if you see that a player is, getting boosted up higher than maybe they should be, then you've got to readjust and move that money away. Yeah. Because the last thing you want is for me to say, yeah, that $25 Buxton is pretty risky with his health. I, I think I'm just going to drop him. Yep. Especially, you know, you have an $11 now. If he's at 21, 22, 23, and I push him up to 24, 25, and then you drop him, that's 14, 13, 14 dollars that have been cleared off your roster in addition to the 11. It's a, it's a big, big shift in your ability to spend at the auction. I don't want to give you that flexibility. So that's right. Anyways, that's right. Pete's not here, but when Pete, when we were scheduling this, Pete said it's, it's going to be late. We're recording sort of late Eastern time. And he wanted to make sure we kept it to an hour. And we have not done <laughs> that even a little bit. So uh, anything else, Mark, that we should be mentioning, anything we haven't covered yet that you think is important for people to think about as they're going into arbitration? The only other thing that I would say is really make sure that you, if you haven't got a plan for next season, to really take some time to evaluate your plan for your own team and make your arbitration decisions accordingly. So because Otnu is a long-term project, we can't just be looking from deadline to deadline. Okay, this event is coming up and then the next event is coming up. That's going to be the keep the cut deadline. Well, we need to already be looking at the players we think we might want to drop. And we have to kind of anticipate what other teams, who they may be dropping before we do our arbitration. So we should also be looking forward to next auction and next season. So have a plan keep to the plan and make all your decisions according to that plan. And if you don't have one, well, you better get one before you uh, make your arbitration decisions. Because if you make them 
if you make a plan after, you might find that you've allocated incorrectly. That's really good advice. Very, very good advice. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining. Really appreciate having you on. Insight is great as always. For those of you who have not already signed up for the newsletter, please do that. Mark and his team get you great information. You can also follow Mark on Twitter at Mark McElroy BB. Put that in the show notes so you can find it. And you can also follow the show at Keep or Cut. That's Cut with a K. You can follow me at Chad Young. Even though Pete's not here, I'll remind you, you can follow him at Pete B Baseball. Please remember to subscribe to the show, leave us ratings and reviews. We'd love to hear from you as well with any questions you've got, any topics you want us to cover this off season. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you in two weeks. Bye.